0: Carrie, would you pray for our time in the Word?
1: Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have coming together, God. That we yes, Lord. For granted, Lord. Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you that is a, as a gift from you, God. Yes, Lord. Father, and that we would treasure it in our hearts, so that we might not sin against you, God. Father, I pray for this time this morning, that you would protect it, God. There would be no distractions, Lord. For all that would be here, God, I pray, God, that hearts and minds, Father, would be convicted and changed for And that obedience would come forth in Jesus' name.
0: Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your loving kindness, Lord. Thank you, Father, that your love endures forever. We Thank you, Father, that no one is beyond your reach. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance and Father, oh, how I pray, God, that we would not remain enslaved to sin. But that, Father, we would throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. And, Father, that we would run the race set before us. We thank you, Father, that you make every crooked path straight. We thank you, Father, that you are our deliverer. That you are our rear guard. That you have gone before us, Lord. And that you've made a way, Father. I pray, God, that we would keep our eyes focused and fixed upon you, Lord. I pray, God, that as we open your word this morning, Father. God, that we would be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. God, that we'd be attentive to the conviction, Father, that, that we receive, Lord. Lord. And that, God, that we wouldn't turn away from you, but that we would run towards you. Repenting and turning from sin. To to make up our minds, to resolve, Father, not not to go back, not to be like a dog that returns to its vomit. But, Father, realizing that in and of our strength, we can't, but you can. As you, Father, if we are in Christ, Father, we have received a Holy Spirit. And we ought not to live lives that grieve you, Lord, but we're to live lives that obey you. We thank you for the promise in your word that gives us the understanding that if we walk habitually in the Spirit, we would not gratify the desires of the flesh. We know that which we have received from you cannot be worked out in our flesh. It must be a life obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, have your way among us. Give us the strength to release what needs to be released in our lives that's hindering our fellowship with you, Father. Oh, how I pray that that would be our desire, is intimate fellowship with our Creator. So, Father, come today. We thank you that you are among us, Lord. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the first R for 2021, repentance. The action of repenting, Sincere regret or remorse. The scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 through 11. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance and it results in spiritual death. Are you alive this morning, (laughs) spiritually? Are you drawing close? Are, Are you in an intimate relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit? Oh, you ought to be. If you are in Christ, that is your position, in Christ. If you're not in Christ this morning, I'm not sure why you're not in Christ. Because He is pleased to reveal Himself to you. He is pleased to draw you closer to Him. He is pleased to deliver you from the kingdom of darkness to His kingdom of light. Oh, that you would come to trust in Jesus. Repentance, this sorrow, this remorse. This, this recognizing that you are in complete rebellion towards the Creator. That you would humble yourself before Him. and That you would receive His salvation, His great love for you. I've always encouraged us, why would we deny Him? Why would we turn from Him? Why would we choose His wrath over His love? Again, we're going to see in Scripture this morning, it is His loving kindness that leads us to repentance. There's nothing that you need to keep hidden in your life. There's nothing that should be mastering you. You should be living a transparent life. The way to freedom is a life that is transparent, first before God and then before man. We cannot continue to abide in Christ, to remain in the church with hidden sin. No, we gotta confess. We gotta come clean. We gotta repent. And it doesn't matter what man thinks of you, whatever's going on inside, you need to deal with it. (laughs) You need to get free. And the only way freedom is found is through Christ. Dying to the old and being made live in the new. It's not just a one-time prayer. It is a lifestyle. It is cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ because He has called you out. Casual Christianity doesn't make it Just going to church just doesn't do it. Showing up when you want, giving when you want, serving when you want doesn't do it. That doesn't mark you as a Christian. But if you're in intimate fellowship with Jesus, you won't keep longing for the things of this world. You won't keep allowing your flesh to lead you. You wouldn't allow the internal struggles to continue to define you. No, you have a hunger now and a thirst for righteousness, to live right, to honor God, to love God with your whole being. And it's worth it. You you you've repented. You've understand that that sorrow, that deep remorse, that Turning away from, which turns you from sin, and it brings forth salvation. And there's no regret. Listen to what Scripture says for that kind of sorrow. The problem in the church today is there's a lot of people who are not sorrowful. Uh, They 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 haven't even wept over their sin, their rebellion. They just say a little prayer and poof, they call themselves a Christian, but they have not recognized the state that they were born into. You see, we were all born in to this rebellion, rebellious state, this nature that is living contrary to truth and complete rebellion to the throne of God. Have you felt that deep sorrow? Because when, when that is in your life, when that is produced within you, because God is pleased to reveal Himself to you, the Holy Spirit brings forth the, the conviction. You feel the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and the conviction, all of it, and it drives you to your knees. Like, oh God, I'm a sinner. <laughs> and then He comes forth. Comes and he heals us, he redeems us. We are born again of a new nature now, alive, abiding in his presence, trusting in him and his word, growing and maturing, enduring persevering, having been pressed up against, but not crushed, persecuted, but not abandoned. Like He's for us. He's not against us. It's a whole new way of living. It's a whole new way of thinking. Because as you think, so you go. Go to Romans. We're going to spend a little time this morning I'm going to give you these scriptures that I pray would encourage you to continue to persevere I pray that you go back and and you just meditate upon them that you read through them this week and how and ask the question to yourself how are they impacting your life? Because the living word of God should be impacting your life. It's a double-edged sword. It drives deep. You ought to feel the weight of scripture. And then you ought to respond in obedience. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 32. God's good news. Paul writes to the church. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Listen to these words. Chosen by God, by God, to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born in, in King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege of, and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. That's how you're to be living now. Believing and obeying, bringing glory to his name. (laughs) And you are included among these Gentiles who have been called, look at this, to belong to Christ Jesus. He goes on, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. Remember, God's plan from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, that he will have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. They just won't go to church They just won't come when they want, serve when they want, give when they want, just treat it as if it's nothing. No, they understand who they belong to. They understand their purpose now in life. They have been born again. He goes on, and you are included among these. Listen to this. Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. You, you, not just them back then, but us today in the days to come, those who God calls out belongs to Jesus Christ. He goes, on. I'm writing to tell you in Rome, who, listen to this, are loved by God and are called to be his own people. Do you recognize today that you are loved by God and called to be among His people. Let that define your choices this week. Let that be what is set before you. Let that be what you find encouraging this week, no matter what comes your way, that you are loved by God, and you have been called to belong to Him. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. Listen to that statement made. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God. Whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come and last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit. Is your spiritual fruit coming from your life? There ought to be. Where there is no fruit, there is no life. You are to be producing in your life fruit, a harvest of fruitful life as you're maturing, as you're growing in Christ. Just as I have seen among other Gentiles, he says, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike, So I am eager to come to Rome to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Listen to this. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. It is the power of God at work. It's nothing that I can do for you. It's nothing that you can do for yourself. No, it's the power of God who brings forth salvation and fruit in your life. So he says, I'm not ashamed of this good news. He goes on, this good news tells us How God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. Look at this, by faith. From start to finish, by faith. Do you believe? How are you to mature? How is this process? By faith. Do you believe? Are you trusting in? Because as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Has life. He goes on. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. All right, so we just read of God's good news in chapter 1. We transition now in this other second part of chapter 1. Now God's anger towards sin. People. Us before Christ. And if you're again not in Christ, then you're a part of still the wicked. You're suppressing the truth by your wickedness. Those in Christ once suppressed the truth by their wickedness. That's why if you're claiming to be in Christ, you can't remain wicked. You can't keep living for self. You can't keep doing what you want to do, living how you want to live, seeking what you want to gain. That's a worldly mentality. It's wickedness. Like I keep encouraging is that we are behind enemy lines. We gotta know whom we belong to, and we gotta know what we are called to. We're not called to suppress the truth any longer by remaining wicked. He goes on. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And that goes for everyone. There's no excuse. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't, look at this, worship him as God, or even give him thanks And they began to think up foolish ideals of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. It's the same pattern over and over and over from the beginning all the way to the end. We will continue to see this pattern. Wickedness. Remember that the serpent came into the garden. Did God really say? Remember Lucifer's desire was to raise up above the throne of God and establish his own. Adam and Eve, when they fell, they were no longer in intimate fellowship with God. They now had to be tossed out and from then on mankind was born into sin. But God had a plan, you all. And God is faithful to what he has established. The cross was always purposed. I know we have a wrong image of God before we come to him. But once you come to him, once he reveals himself to you, you can't help but see him for who he is and love him. He's our great deliverer. Oh, such love. And yet, wicked people deny him. Wicked people choose to go their way. They begin to think of foolish ways. I mean, think about that. They refuse the living God, and yet they create a dead God to serve. It makes no sense. But when you're trapped there, it makes perfect sense to you. Because they're blinded. Remember the scriptures we read a few weeks ago. The enemy has blinded the eyes. Their hearts keep getting harder and darker. And look at this. They claim to be wise, but they instead become utter fools. And they stop worshiping the glorious ever-living God... To worshiping what they've created. He goes on. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Oh, God, have mercy. God abandoned them, He turned them over. They did vile, and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worship and served things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praises. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Please, don't let that phrase just go one end of the ear, out the other end. God abandoned them. Turned them over. Uh, The many years of my life I spent not serving God, not calling upon Jesus, But turned over to what I sought after. I was abandoned by God. Not because he's a bad God. No, he's a just God. He's a holy God. He abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. And we're seeing this as we're going through the Old Testament. God calls Israel out as his own. They refuse him. (laughs) And, they, 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 and they've seen how great and powerful he is. They have, noted, they, have they have worshiped him, they understand His holiness. Uh, he did incredible miracles for them. He revealed himself to them. He spoke to them. And yet he wasn't enough. The gods of the other nations were more impressive to them. They submitted to them. They went on and did the things they ought not to do. And which God told them before, like, don't do it. And so as it was with them, so it is with us. As it's been throughout the generations and the generations to come. People will not serve God. Because not everyone's going to heaven. It's a narrow road. But God is revealing himself to all. But not all are receiving that revelation. So he turns them over. He abandons them. To their desires. To their wants. Listen to that. So since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never have been done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backbiters, oh, I'm sorry, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They event they invent new ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that these who do these things deserve to die. Listen to this. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Complete rebellion. Sin is running amok. There's no repentance happening in the lives of these people. They do not see God for who He is. They are not in intimate fellowship with Him. They have not been born again. They have gone their way, and God has turned them over. Oh, but there's good news. They're not beyond His reach. As we've seen throughout the word of God. He's not done yet. He is kind. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is merciful. He is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. That's why, as Christians, if you're in Christ, this is not how your life should be looking. You ought to be loving Him and living for Him and growing and maturing and impacting the culture around you by living it out, sharing the good news, and standing up and defending the faith. We're behind enemy lines. We're not just to be casually going through life. Like I said a few weeks ago, we're not to feel comfortable with the world, and the world definitely shouldn't feel comfortable with us. We are two separate people with nothing in common. Nothing in common. We are to be kingdom-minded and kingdom-living. Preparing for his return. Speaking truth. Raising a standard. Not just allowing things to go. Not to be weak-willed and wispy-waspy. No, we're to be confident in who he is and who we are. And we're to go forth and we're to tell the good news. And share the good news. Things are going to get darker. But we're to be getting brighter. Repentance should start first with us. And that is the message which we share with others. That's why I keep telling us, if you're sitting in church with hidden sin, shame on you. You ought not to be hiding sin. What are they going to think of me? Who cares? Get right with God. Learn to grow. Learn to mature as a believer. Because ultimately, God is going to deal with you. And ultimately, God could turn you over to what you're hiding. He will expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. It's a tormented life and a tormented soul trying to Hold a form of religion when everything within you is against it. It's tormenting. Then he goes on about God's judgment of sin. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. You think you can condemn such people? Aha, now he's turning it around. He's speaking to the church. He he just laid out the the understanding of God's anger at sin. He's exposed what the world is doing, what the lost are doing, their wickedness. And now he turns his attention to the church and says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And look what he says. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. You see, your church attendance doesn't save you. Your Bible knowledge doesn't save you. You serving, you giving, you show up when you want, doesn't save you. No, it's Christ. It's this newness of life. You ought not to be doing the very same things that those who are a part of from him, that those who are in complete rebellion towards him, you shouldn't be marked, that shouldn't be in, in your life. He says, and we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? Religious people, they do. They like to point their finger and then behind closed doors do the same thing. That ought not to be. That ought not to be. Yes, the church were to judge within the church. We don't judge the world. The world is already standing condemned. That's why it is vital within the community of the church to address sin. That's why it's vital for the church to remain in the state of repentance. Not allowing the enemy to get a foothold. Not allowing the flesh to keep running amok. No, the standard is holiness. The standard is righteousness. The standard is Christ. He is the head. We are his body. Oh, but look at me. I got this problem. I got that problem. We'll grow. Mature. Give it to Christ. Die to it. Live for Christ. Trust me, I know what it's like to struggle with sin. I know what it's like for things just to try to to come at me. But if you give your attention to them, they are going to overtake you. But you must remember, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. There is victory found in Christ. And if there's not, then Christ is a liar. And why follow him? People who are claiming to be Christians and yet allowing sin to define them, they're not Christians. They're making Christ out to be a liar. And that's why the Word of God says, have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. Treat them like an outsider, because that's what they are they are an outsider. It's about time that the church awakens to her identity and to understand what it means to live in community with each other, to hold each other accountable, to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. Not to point fingers at each other, but to build a community that is transparent with each other because we're transparent with God. He goes on here. They're doing the same thing. Verse 4. I love this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life, oh goodness, look at verse 7, highlight it, underline it. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that comes, I'm sorry, that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead to live lives of wickedness. He's talking to the church. And the church has been deceived. Not all. But the enemy's working overtime. Knowing that his time is soon to be up. And we have got to awaken to truth you all. Listen to what scripture says. This isn't what man says. This is what scripture says. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. It's not about your works, but faith without works is dead. And what is your Christian life to be based on faith? Your salvation is secured in Christ. But that does that mean you just claim him, you claim his salvation, and keep living how you want? That is not Christianity. You receive Christ, you are born again, and now you grow up. You mature in that nature. And if you're not maturing, if you're not growing, he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness, There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But look at the promise here. Remember, in Scripture, you always see this. When you see wrath, you'll see love. When you see love, you'll see wrath. <laughs> but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do, do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, and for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Come on. I'm parked here in Romans because we're talking about the first R for this year, repentance. Listen, we got to stop playing church. you got to start being the church. The bride of Christ. Go to chapter 3, verse 9 through 31. The Bible reveals to us that all people are sinners. Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? Not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. This is before Christ. We're all on an even playing field. We're all sinners. We're on rebellion towards Him. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave their tongues are filled with lies snake venom drips from their lips their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness they rush to commit murder destruction and misery always follow them they don't know where to find peace they have no fear of God at all. Did you hear that? <laughs> Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Can we just understand that? I've shared that with us, to, for, with us over and over, that the Ten Commandments were giving, not to save us, but to expose us. God knew we could never keep them. They weren't meant to be kept. They were meant to expose. Our wickedness, our sinfulness, and our need for Him. You see, God gets a bad rap. But when you get to know Him, when you understand Him, oh God, you can't help but humble yourself and realize how great and loving and kind He is. I keep telling us, there's no error in God, the error is in us. Verse 21, we transition to this beautiful understanding. Christ took our punishment. You see, we all deserved God's wrath. We all deserve it. We all deserve to be swallowed up in His wrath because of our rebellion towards Him. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him. Look at this. Without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Remember, it was established before the earth was formed, and it's been basically acknowledged and set forth and spoken forth to huma- humanity from the beginning. God's plan of redemption, the cross, the Messiah, coming to redeem mankind. God is faithful. God is just. God's word will not return void. (laughs) Through Moses, through the prophets, it goes on. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. Look at this. No matter who we are, what we've done, where we've been. What the internal, in, internal struggles are. It doesn't matter. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you confess Him to be the Son of God, and that He is risen from the dead, you are saved. You have been born again. You have received the Holy Spirit of God within you. And the Word of God says you ought not to be living a life that grieves Him. But now you're living a life that honors Him. And when you fall, when you make a mistake, when you sin, you're quick to feel the conviction to go, oh, I don't belong there. It doesn't feel right. And there's sorrow. And you're like, oh, God, forgive me. And you don't stay down. You get up, you receive it, and you move on. You grow, you mature, you expose the fruitless deeds of the darkness. We're made right with God. you? Do do we grasp this understanding? Do we really understand what it means to be made right with God? Do we really understand what it means to have intimate relationship with the creator of the world? And it's all because of our faith in Christ. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, Freely makes us right in His sight. You couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. But God can. Listen listen to that. He did this through Christ Jesus. When He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. It's a life, you all, of faith. Of belief. And that's why I keep saying That's why I keep telling you. That belief and that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He's risen from the dead, that should be your focal point for the rest of your life. It should be determining your decisions that you're making before you put your hands towards something, before you allow your thoughts to keep running amok, before you allow your feet to lead you somewhere, before you allow whatever to come forth out of your mouth, and before you continue to allow your heart to be wicked And vile. Because when all of that comes at you, and it will continue to come at you because you are still behind the enemy's lines, the way that you're able to stand is by your belief and your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead, that I am now made right with God through Christ Jesus. I am covered by the blood of the Lamb, and no weapon forged against me shall prosper. I would be the head and not the tail. I would be above and not beneath. I will not give the enemy a foothold that he would develop a stronghold. And God forbid if I do, I recognize that God has given me the weapons of my warfare to demolish those strongholds. I don't have to continue to be ruled by the old man. I don't have to continue to be lured out By the enemy in the world. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. For he is alive. He is risen. He is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. (laughs) Oh, are you talking and preaching to yourself daily? Listen to what the word of God is saying. There's nothing I can boast in of myself. I can only boast in Christ. This is the hope that we have to share with others who are still captives to sin and slave to it, bound by the devil. And we're to go forth to be the light. We're to go forth to speak truth. We're to be bold with our witness. After all of this, he goes on, It is God, I'm sorry, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Ah, remember, Jesus himself says, I didn't come to do away with it. No, I came to fulfill it. And if our position is in Christ, the law is fulfilled. What is it exposing in my life anymore? It can't because I'm in Christ. And that's why in 1 John, though, it does say, I write to you that you will not sin. But if you do, remember. Christ. See, we make excuses. To go back. To keep sinning. And that should not be marking a believer's life. The power of sin is broken. Oh, I'll never sin? No. But we are encouraged that if you do, get up and don't treat it lightly. Don't treat it lightly. Understand God's standard. Jesus took our punishment, He took what we deserved. And he gave us freedom, you all. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. So the law is fulfilled. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Faith brings joy. Hmm. Therefore, he goes on, since we have been made right in God's sight by... Faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Oh, I have so many verses that I would say, oh, this is my life verse, but this one is one I've gone back through over the years, especially in seasons of trials and and, and discomfort and, and, and just being weighted down upon. Oh, there's been many a times or I've claimed Romans 5, 1. No, I am at peace with God because of Jesus Christ. Not because I go to church. Not because I read my Bible. Not because I do and I do and I do. No, all because of Christ. I'm at peace with God. I mean, listen to that, you all. Again, have you really grasped the understanding that you are at peace with God the living God. (laughs) All because of Christ. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, look at this, of undeserved privilege, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too Are you experiencing his love? Do you really truly grasp it? And the joy that should be coming forth from your life because of the faith that you have in Christ? When we are utterly when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made, oh God, I hope we get it, since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Oh do you understand the richness of the treasure that we have found in Christ you all you see that should be marking your life now and no matter where you're at in your walk with Christ i keep enjoy i keep encouraging you just enjoy it Oh, but I still have troubles here. It's okay. Look at what it said here. It produces within your life. Oh, but I I should pray like that person. I should be like this person. Oh, I don't measure up. Oh, for God's sakes, get your eyes off of you and everyone else and get them on Christ. He is faithful to complete what He has begun in you. He is faithful to walk with you through it all. He is faithful. He knows exactly how wicked and vile you are, and you may say, "Well, I'm not that wicked and vile." No, 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 you are. Well, I didn't do this, and I said, "No, no, no," but you still were born in a nature that was in complete rebellion towards Him—wickedness and vileness. But God is so kind, tender-hearted, slow to anger. His desire has always been to make us friends with him. (laughs) So you can point and people can point their crooked fingers at God and blame God and question God and remain angry at God. (laughs) But God is just and God is kind and God has done all that he is going to do to reveal himself to every man and woman. And ultimately, they have to choose. Love him or remain in total rebellion against him. But oh God, are we not seeing this beautiful picture? Romans 6 Well then, hearing all of this, should we keep sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Because what was happening, if you've been around me long enough, you've heard me share share about this chapter. You know that this chapter was a huge influence that the Holy Spirit used to break chains off of my life. Because what was happening is there was a false teaching that crept into the church of Rome. As it is in a lot of churches this generation, and I'm sure the generations to come. Uh, it's okay to keep sinning. God understands your weakness because the more you sin only shows how the God's grace, the more and more of his grace. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ and baptism? And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. New lives. I've encouraged this over the years. One of your prayers that you should be asking God daily and throughout the day multiple times is, Who am I now? I know how I would live, but I know that by these actions or these choices or these thoughts that's the old me so how am i to live now god teach me show me and enjoy the process enjoy the journey oh it's rough it's tough death is never easy because you're learning to die to the old and coming forth from the new new lives Since we have been united with him in his death, we also be raised to new life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Oh, We need to go through this week, throughout this week, put that in front of you. You have been set free. Do you understand what that means? And that can't just be a flippant statement. No, no. Do you understand? He goes on here. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this. Look at this. (laughs) We are sure. We're not doubting. We're not questioning. No, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. Remember, that is your confession. That is a belief. He died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Remember, that's how you ought to be living because you're in Christ. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin, and alive to God through Christ Jesus. So when temptation comes a-knocking, remember, temptation is not the sin. To go to gossip, you better keep your mouth shut. To allow your thoughts to run amok. No, you got to learn to take every thought captive. To click on things, to do things that you ought to know that you ought not to be doing. <laughs> there is a way in which we are called to live. You are to consider yourself dead in the power of sin, to the power of sin, and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Oh, we've got to live out the word. It's the living word. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve, look at this, sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have, oh my goodness, new life. Daily, give yourself, moment by moment. Give yourself to God. So use your whole body as an instrument. I love this picture. To do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Remember what we just read? Instead you live under the freedom of God's grace. And in that freedom of his grace. You don't keep sinning. You recognize. Wait a minute. That's old. That's old. That's old nature. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you became the slave of, don't you realize you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you wholeheartedly. Not a divided heart. Well, I'm in today, but tomorrow I'm not. Well, I'm in it because I'm around church folk, but now I'm out and I'm out with the world, I I, I just walk away from it. No, no, it's wholeheartedly. You can't live with a divided heart. It is who you are to your very core now. There's a new nature coming forth. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obeyed this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do what is right. And what was the result? You were now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, the goodness of our God. The goodness of our God, you all. Repentance. It is vital. It's just not a word. It's just not a concept. It's just like, okay, I hear it on Sundays, or maybe you may think about it here and there during the week, or maybe you feel the conviction, okay, I'm sorry. But it's not a sorrowful, it's not a remorseful sorry. No, no, no. It needs to be sorrowful and remorseful. Oh, God! <laughs> Forgive me. I repent of this. When's the last time you spoke it out of your mouth? When's the last time you really saw it for what it is? (laughs) I wrote something last night I just wanted to share. Just my thoughts. If Jesus' love condones sin and gives us the right to remain in it, no matter the sin, then why on earth did he go to the cross? Why would he endure the shame and the torture of it? Why would he have prayed for the cup to pass from him? You see, this Jesus, the lukewarm in the church keep referring to, is a Jesus that men have created, allowing them to remain in rebellion. If you look at the whole of Scripture, you see that God will have a people that he will call his own, and they will call him their God. He is not changed, and there is a day of reckoning coming. The Bible says His wrath has been stored up, and a time has been set for it to be poured out on this earth. And are those who are not in Christ? It has been a popular stance to deny Christ and to remain uh, and to rebel against the Holy Holy God. The created has done this throughout the generations. People's stance and their desire to water down the gospel is nothing new. Jesus also had a multitude following him, but when his teaching became too hard for them to understand, they turned and left. Notice, he did not run after them and dumbed down his message to appease them. No, they left. Back to their old way of life. Then he looked at those remaining and asked them, Are you leaving too? Their response should be every Christian's response. Where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. When I was lost in the world and in rebellion to him, it was people who watered down the gospel and made Jesus out to be this hugs and muffins type of guy who kept me away from the truth. Their weak portrayal of Jesus did not reveal him for who he is. They are a stumbling block and only looking for their ears to be itched. As far as judging, yes, we are called to judge those who say they are in the church and hold them accountable to His truth. You see, that's the standard, His truth. We cannot judge the world, they already stand condemned. We are called to go into the world to preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey all of His commands. You see, all are welcome to come and receive from Him to be born again. No one is denied. The gospel should offend us all. Oh, how great is the love of the Father that His loving kindness would lead us to repentance. Some may write me off as judgmental, radical, archaic, and whatever else. But know this He is returning, and He's not coming back as a baby in a manger or a come-feel-good type of guy. No, he's coming back as the conquering king. And I sure hope when people take their last breath, they are found to be in Christ and not still in rebellion to him. Where are you today? You see, that is the question. You are either in Christ or you're in rebellion towards him. You don't have one foot in and one foot out. I mean, that's how you're thinking. You're in complete rebellion towards Him. Because remember the scripture that we just read, it is a whole heart, wholeheartedly. It's not divided. Like, Do you know Him? Are you in intimate fellowship with the living God through Jesus Christ? Not through religious works, not by trying to be good, but in Christ you are. Are you in Christ? Have you died to the old man, to the old woman? Have you been raised back up into life? A new way of living. A new way of thinking. You see, you just don't come to church, say a little prayer, and then get up and walk right out as if what he did meant nothing. Because if that is, and that's what's being taught out there. And if that's true, then why the cross? Why come at all? And that's why I keep saying over the years, I know people say, well, God loves me. (laughs) But it's not his love that saves us. If it was just his love, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. No, it is because of his love that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, do you know Jesus? Are you in Jesus? Go to Judges chapter 9, verse 22 through 10, verse 18. Judges chapter 9, verse 22 through 10, verse 18. We pick up. Uh, I remember the 70 sons were slaughtered Abimelech rose to power. <laughs> I was thinking as I was praying through this lesson this morning, and hopefully, the encouragement that we'll receive from the reading of this word is that we understand that there are kingdom principles at play. There are kingdom principles, and, and, and we, that was our, our one of the principles was one of our um, verses, our verse from last year, I believe. That whatever you sow to, you're going to reap. You sow to the flesh, you reap the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you reap that which is of the spirit. You know, I know the world likes to call it karma, but no, no, no. It's not karma, it's a kingdom principle. You do evil, and evil's going to be coming right back on you. You do what is right, you're going to grow into mature as a follower of Christ. You're going to be righteous. You're going to be holy. Set apart for God. After Abimelech had ruled over Israel for three years. Look at this. Verse 23. God sent a spirit that stirred up trouble. Between Abimelech and the leading citizens of Shechem. And they revolted. God was punishing Abimelech for murdering murdering Gideon's 70 sons. And the citizens of Shechem were supporting him in his treachery of murdering, murdering his brothers. The citizens of Shechem set an ambush for Abimelech on the hilltops and robbed everyone who passed that way. But someone warned Abimelech about their plot. One day, Gal, son of Ebed, moved to Shechem with his brothers and gained the confidence of the leading citizens of Shechem. During the annual harvest festival at Shechem, held in the temple of the local god, the wine flowed freely and everyone began cursing Abimelech. Oh, look how quick the tables are turned. Look what was stirred up, because God sent a spirit to stir up trouble. Oh, see, God is involved and every situation. Who is Abimelech? Gal shouted. He's not a true son of Shechem, so why should we be his servants? He's merely the son of Gideon, and the Zubal is merely his deputy. Serve the true sons of Habor, the founder of Shechem. Why should we serve Abimelech? If I were in charge here, I would get rid of Abimelech. I would say to him, get some soldiers and come out and fight. But when Zubal, the leader of the city, heard what Gal was saying, he was furious. He sent messengers to Abimelech in Aramah, telling him, Gal, son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to live in Shechem, and now they are inciting the city to rebel against you. Come by night with an army and hide out in the fields. In the morning, as soon as it is daylight, attack the city. When Gal and those who are with him come out against you, you can do with them as you wish. So Bimelech and all his men went by night and split into four groups, stationing themselves around Shechem. Gal was standing at the city gates when Abimelech and his army came out of hiding. When Gal saw them, he said to Zubal look, There are people coming down from the hilltops. But Zubal replied, It's just the shadows on the hills that look like men. But again, Gal said, No, people are coming down from the hills, and another group is coming down the road past the diviner's oak. Then Zubal turned on him and asked, Now where is that big mouth of yours? Wasn't it you that said, Who is Abimelech, and why should we be his servants? The men you mocked are right outside the city. Go out and fight them. So Gael led the leading citizens of Shechem into battle against Abimelech. But Abimelech Abimelech chased him. And many of Shechem's men were wounded and fell along the road as they returned to the city gate. Abimelech returned to Aramah and Zubal drove Gael and his brothers out of Shechem. The next day, the people of Shechem went out into the fields to battle. When Abimelech heard about it, he divided his men into three groups and set an ambush in the fields. When Abimelech saw the people coming out of the city, he and his men jumped From their hiding places and attacked them. Abimelech and his group stormed the city gate to keep the men of Shechem from getting back in, while Abimelech's other two groups cut them down in the fields. The battle went on all day before Abimelech finally captured the city. He killed the people, leveled the city, and scattered salt all over the ground. What a mess! (laughs) What a mess! Everything's in chaos. They're all turning against each other. Isn't that how our lives get? When we step out of the will of God, when we manipulate situations to gain what we want, to get what we want, it all turns out pretty rough. When the leading citizens who lived in the tower of Shechem heard what had happened, they ran and hid in the temple of Baal-bereth. Someone reported to Abimelech that the citizens had gathered in the temple, so he led his forces to Malzalmon. He took an axe and chopped some branches from a tree, then he put them on his shoulder. Quick, do as I have done, he told his men. So each of them cut down some branches following Abimelech's example. They piled the branches against the wall of the temple and set them on fire. So all the people who lived in the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech attacked the town of Thezbeth and captured it. But there was a strong tower inside the town and all the men and women, the entire population fled to it. They barricaded themselves in and climbed up to the roof of the tower. Abimelech followed them to attack the tower. But as he prepared to set fire to the entrance, a woman on the roof dropped a millstone that landed on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. He quickly said to his young armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. Don't let it be said that a woman killed Abimelech. So the young man ran him through with his sword and he died. When Abimelech's men saw that he was dead, they disbanded and returned to their homes. In this way, God punished Abimelech for the evil he had done against his father by murdering his 70 sons. God also punished the men of Shechem for all their evil. So the curse of Jotham, son of Gideon, was fulfilled. You see, nothing good comes from self. And God always honors his word. What you sow to, you will reap. After Abimelech died, Tola, son of Pula, came to Godo, was the next person to rescue Israel. He was from the tribe of Issachar, but lived in the town of Shimer in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel for 23 years. When he died, he was buried in Shamar. After Tola died, Jair, from Gilead, judged Israel for 22 years. His 30 sons rode around on 30 donkeys, and they owned 30 towns in the land of Gilead, which are still called the towns of Jair. When Jair died, he was buried. Married and came on. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and the gods of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. Look at this. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served Him at all. So the Lord burned with anger, anger against Israel. And look at this. As we read earlier, He turned them over to the Philistines and the Amorites, who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites east of Jordan River and the land of the Amorites, that is in Gilead. The Amorites also crossed to the west side of Jordan and attacked Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. The Israelites were in great distress. Highlight that, circle that. They were in great distress. Finally, they cried out to the Lord "Help for help, saying, We have sinned against you because we have abandoned, abandoned you as our God and have served the images of Baal. Look what's happening here. They chose to turn from God to go their own way. It'll never work out for them. It'll never work out for you. It'll never work out for me. God turned them over. Now they're oppressed. Now they're tormented. Now they are enslaved. They're crying out. The Lord replied, Did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Amorites? the Ammonites and the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites and the Maonites, when they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help and I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me and served other gods. So I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. Oh, but look at this incredible picture, you all. God had every right to say what he just said. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, We have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. Then the Israelites, oh, highlight this, circle this, put aside their foreign gods and serve the Lord. And he was grieved by their misery. At that time, the armies of Ammon had gathered for war and were camped in Gilead. And the people of Israel assembled and camped at Mishpah. The leaders of Gilead said to each other, Whoever attacks the Amorites first will become ruler over the people of Gilead. They cried out to God. They put away they're idols, and they begin to serve the Lord. Listen, you all. All of this is captured for us. Not just to be a good story, but to alter our lives, you all. To trust and to live for God and God alone. You know, praise be to God that Jesus Christ came... He took upon our punishment. He rose again. He defeated sin and death. He is victorious. And He came because of God's love. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I don't know about you, but do you understand that Jesus is alive? Do you understand that just as He was in a physical body on this earth and and, and walking with His disciples He's with us today, though he may not be in a physical body, but he is with us. <laughs> he says where there are two or three are gathered, he's among us. He walks with us. He speaks to us. We, we, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus is alive. He's on the throne. Jesus is returning. So we can't just keep him at a distance as if he is just a good story. No, no. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are you loving him? Are you in Christ? Because only those who are in Christ are safe. Those on the outside are going to experience his wrath. And that's why for those who are on the inside, we can't just keep sitting idly by, just watching everyone just go to hell. You should be moved with compassion to speak up in this generation. I mean, for God's sakes, I posted yet another testimony of a wife of an imam who is a teacher in the Muslim faith holds a position of clout among their community. The wife of an Iman came to Christ, accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and in retaliation that Iman had his men go and rape the the daughters of the pastor. And then as he was plotting to kill his wife, she escaped with her children, And now she's living in hiding. And we just come to church. All when we want. We give here and we do there. And it's just whatever. Oh, God, help us. It is so much more than just a Sunday routine, it's a new way of life. And since the birth of the church, (laughs) She has been persecuted. She has a call on her life to honor God and to bring glory to Him. And we are to be His hands and feet. We should be out there encouraging others, praying for others, serving others, loving others, raising up a standard when everything is being torn down around us. When laws and legislation, the things are being passed that are so wicked and so ungodly, when people in our lives are living the most wicked ways, we cannot sit back and just idly watch while I'm praying. No, pray and then do. (laughs) Pray and then speak. We're in a war, we're behind enemy lines. (laughs) And we've got to grow up, we've got to mature, we've got to advance. Go to John, no, not John, Luke chapter 24. We're about to start John, but Luke chapter 24. Verse 13 through 53. We've already read that Jesus was resurrected. Thirteen. I think it's a thirty-three, but it's Luke twenty-four, verse thirteen, through the end, verse fifty-three. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking in the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed things, these things, Jesus Himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing Him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you are walking, as you walk along? They stopped. Short. Sadness went across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough his body was gone. Just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them. Oh, this is so important through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Do you understand the importance of the Old Testament? That's why I keep encouraging you, as you're going through it, Jesus is all through it. (laughs) It's pointing to him. Everything about it. It's all about Christ. Oh, how beautiful. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, look at this, oh, what a beautiful picture. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. Oh, how I hope your heart burns. (laughs) When you hear scriptures being explained, you all. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are, you, why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. Oh God, open our minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in authority of His name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are a witness of these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God, oh, this is Jesus, you all. This is Jesus. I usually don't do this. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to play this song. You can't read the, that, that, these scriptures and just let it kind of fall to the wayside. We're going to pick that back up and close. We've got a short psalm to read and two nuggets of Proverbs, but I want to play this psalm because when you grasp the fullness of Christ, Oh, how we need to meditate upon it. So whatever you need to do while these words are being sung over you, oh, how I pray that you would be attentive to to Christ and to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to minister to us. And oh, how I pray that He would enlighten our hearts and minds to the truth of His Word.
1: Was rich
0: Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each generation. Proverbs 14, verse 11 and 12. Proverbs 14, verse 11 and 12. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the godly will flourish There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Oh, be mindful, you all, of Christ. As you go through this week, think upon Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to continue the work in which He's begun in you. Get in step with Him. Turn from sin. Repent of it. Allow yourself to feel that sorrow, that remorse. Accept this free gift of salvation that is found only in Jesus. And oh, how I pray that you are in Christ and that you will not remain in rebellion towards Him. This last song to be sung over us, oh, how I pray that these words, and I posted it today. If you want to go back sometime this week, just allow the words of the song to become (laughs) The prayer of your heart. The prayer of your heart. And then I'll close us in prayer.
1: You're loving my walls down, mm-hmm. pushing through my pride, exposing my secrets. You're not afraid of what I hide. Come on. You never stop, you won't give up till you have.